Take your Bible and turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read the first 20 verses. Luke chapter 2. It came to pass in those days that there ran a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. This taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. It came to pass, as the angels were going away from them into heaven, 
the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem, and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste, and found Mary, and Joseph, and the babe, lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Title of this message, Proclaim the Good Tidings. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity that it was ours to be gathered here this morning. Lord, I pray as we look into the Word of God that we be encouraged and challenged that you'd speak to our hearts. I pray that there be any in our midst who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, their Savior from sin. I pray that the Spirit of God would, would convict this morning, just draw them to thyself. And pray, Father, we'd be encouraged and challenged and be edified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Of course, this is the what many call the Christmas was called the Christmas story, the birth of of Christ, uh, recorded by the the physician Luke. Well, I want to notice several things about this this morning as we look at this passage of scripture. First of all, the providence of God uh, in this. If you notice in verses one and two, it says, "And it came to pass in those days that there ran a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed." And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. So think about the providence of God in, in the birth of our Savior. i got two things that I want to mention. First of all, the timing. Verse 1 says, and it came to pass. It just came to pass. It just came to pass. Galatians 4.4 4 says, but when the fullness of time was come. In other words, when the time was fulfilled, at the appointed time, it means at a completed portion of time, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. You see, it just came to pass. You know, God works all things after the counsel of his own will. The timing was of God. It was of the Lord. Uh, but notice also the place in verses 3 and 4. All went to be taxed, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth, which is where he lived. He lived in Nazareth. Into Judea, under the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and lineage of David. Now, we know from the Bible, from the Old Testament scriptures, in fact, when the wise men came looking for Jesus, they, they go to Jerusalem and they and they asked, Herod asked the scribes and Pharisees, where is he to be born? And we know from Micah 5, 2, but thou, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. So we know from the Old Testament scriptures that Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. But Mary and Joseph, the, 
the, the virgin to whom the angel had appeared and said the Holy Ghost would, would overshadow her and she would conceive of the Holy Ghost, they live in Nazareth, not Bethlehem. But it just so happens that by Roman law, they were required to go to the place of their origin. And of course, being of the house and lineage of David, that place is Bethlehem. You know, Mary and Joseph, I don't believe Mary and Joseph didn't plan this. This is all by God's sovereign hand. You know, the, the, you know Nazareth, so he'd be called Nazarene, the virgin conception, the coming to Bethlehem, it was all fulfilling and in obedience to God, even, even to the point God using heathen to fulfill his word. You know, the psalmist said, the wrath of man shall praise him. You see, this decree, they go there by the decree of Caesar Augustus. Uh, this, this Caesar was, was uh, for you history buffs, that was Octavian. I asked my children yesterday or who, who, this, who this Caesar was. Uh, this was Octavian. And uh, you know, he... For a while, he ruled together with Mark Anthony and, and, and another guy by the name of Lepidus, who's also recalled as, as um, Marcus Aelius, I think Aelius he was called. But anyway, he, he defeated all the others, eliminated all those, and he became the sole ruler of Rome. He became really the first dictator or emperor. Up until that time, the, 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 they weren't called emperors. They were called imperators. They were just the, the commander of the army. Uh, the Senate, you know, kind of ran the government. But anyway, now he comes becomes the sole, sole uh, the emperor, and and he he gets this title Caesar Augustus, which means holy one. And it is he, it is he who makes this decree. Look at look at Ephesians chapter one, verses nine through eleven. Ephesians chapter one. Ephesians 1 verse 9 says, Having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. You see, God works all things after the counsel of his own. He, even the heathen will bring his word to pass. You know, I was talking to Bradley there Friday night. On uh, I guess it was Friday. I watched a, it was on, it's on um, YouTube, I think it is. Anyway, a debate between a, a, um, Dan Barker, who's an atheist, and Thomas Ross, who's, who's a Bible-believing Baptist. And the, the, the subject of the debate was that the Old Testament is fiction. And so they were to prove, one or the other, to prove it was fiction or not fiction. And, uh, and, and, you know, I thought this guy here, he's arguing, but he said there's no such thing as sin. You know, no such thing as sin. It's just your imagination. Um, the sad thing is, one time he was an Assembly of God preacher or something like that before he became an atheist. 
And that's what you see often common, these kind of people, that they're, they become atheists. Anyway, and, uh, and I thought to myself, you know what he, he, what he doesn't realize is he's fulfilling God's word. You know, Peter said in the last, there'd be mockers and scoffers in the last days who will walk off their own ungodly lusts. I mean, you know, and, he, and some of the things he said, he just contradicted himself. But, you know, here we have a, a heathen emperor who makes a decree so that God's word can be fulfilled. You know, we, we have to understand, we know a God that knows the end from the beginning. The psalmist said this, Psalm 118, verse 23, This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. You know, sometimes we wish we had foreknowledge, but we don't. <laughs> but God does. So we see here the providence of God. The second thing we see is the proclamation of glad tidings. Proclamation by glad tidings. And first of all, we have these glad tidings first by the angel. In, in verse 8 it says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. So they said, we bring you good tidings to all people. It's, it's, it's good news. That's what the word gospel means. It's the good news, the good tidings to all people. Uh, you know, this is, the, this is the greatest news that the world has ever received. The good news. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Titus 3, 4 says this, But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. You see, the kindness and love of God appeared in a person. God's kindness appeared. This is the greatest act of benevolence the world has ever seen or will see. You know, the world likes to boast of its philanthropists. You know, men who, wealthy men like Bill Gates and George Soros. George Soros. He's a sore one. George Soros. You know, they, 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 they boast about the, thing, the good things they give money to. But they don't come close to this one. None of them gave their son. You see, contrary to what most people see, God is a loving and good God. You know, one of the things that Dan Barker, you know, I'd like to slap him, but I couldn't. He said God was genocidal, infanticidal, a control freak. And he had this whole big long list of names of Richard Dawkins. He was quoting Richard Dawkins, but he said, I agree with that statement. No. You know, Romans 2, 4 says this, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness, and forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? Or Ephesians 2, 7, where it says that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You see, this is good news. This is good news. Given by the angels. But not only was it given by the angels, it was also 
spread by the shepherds. Notice verse 17 and 18. It says, speaking of the shepherds, And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which are told them by the shepherds. So here the shepherds are. They're making known abroad this good news. To everyone they meet, they tell about it. They tell this good news. You know, that's what we are to do. Romans, in Romans chapter 1, Paul spoke of this in Romans chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. He says, So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel or the good news to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And then again in 1 Corinthians 15, right to the church at Corinth, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, the good news, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That is the good news. In Acts chapter 8, verse 4, when the church at Jerusalem was persecuted, it says they went everywhere. Preaching the gospel. Spreading the good news. They made known abroad. We need to make known the goodness of God. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know, frankly, I get kind of tired of of people blaming God for all the evil in the world. It grieves me. And I, you know, and I, if I have opportunity, I'm pretty quick to point out that it's not God's fault. Death came by sin, and how did sin come into the world? By man. Wasn't God's fault? God didn't create this mess that we're living in. In fact, God's doing all He can to change it, and man's doing all he can to promote this mess. The vast majority of them. You see, we need to we need to proclaim the goodness of God. You know, really, you know, <laughs> I, I had to kind of laugh when Brother Hoyle was reading this morning in Sunday school about Elisha's real positive message to the king of Israel. Why don't you go to your gods or your mother? You know. But you know, it was a positive message. He was pointing out where he was wrong and his need to get right. You know, we have a positive message to the world. This is the good news. Excuse me. Then we'll send you us a third thing. We need to make known to proclaim that good tidings. But notice the third thing. We see here not only the, the providence of God, the proclamation of good tidings, but we see the purpose of God in all this. Drop down to verse 11. It says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now the question I would have is, why would God, the Almighty God, the Creator, the Sustainer of the universe, come to earth and reveal himself as a babe? In a manger, no less. But God became a man. 
and dwelt among us. John 1.14. Matthew 1.23 says, Emmanuel, his name would be called Emmanuel, God with us. So why would he do that? What was his purpose? What is his purpose? Well, number one, to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3 verse 8 says this, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. See, Christ came into the world, not only to save us, but he came to destroy the works of the devil. You know, the devil is a liar, he's a murderer, he's a slanderer, John 8, 44, you know, Jesus said he's a liar, he's a murderer, he's a slander. Revelation 10, uh, 12, well, look, in fact, boy, Revelation 12, 9 to 10. Revelation 12, 9 and 10. It gives him a few, few names. It calls him by different names. Revelation 12, 9 and 10 says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil. And the word devil means slander, or the name devil, and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a voice, a loud voice, saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Now, Jesus said in John 10, 10, The thief cometh not. But for to kill, to steal, and destroy. See, that's what the devil's here for. He hates mankind. We are made in the image of God. We remind him of God. He hates it. He's a slanderer. He's an accuser. He's a murderer. He's a liar. You know, isn't isn't that what he did to Eve? He slandered God? He told Eve, you know, God does know that in the day you eat thereof, then you'll be like him. And his purpose is, his purpose is to separate us from God. That's what death is. It's separation. It's separation. And we are, or were all, under the sentence of death. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. You see, Satan desires to destroy you and I. You know, that's what he did with Judas. Think about it. He used Judas and then discarded him. He used Judas and then discarded him. Great master, huh? See, he's out to destroy us. 1 Chronicles 21.1 says this, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. In other words, Satan hates Israel. He's always hated Israel. He's tried to destroy Israel. He's still trying to destroy Israel. And so he stood up against Israel. He provoked David the number of Israel. And as a result of this, 
temptation that David gave in to, 70,000 Israelites died. You see, Satan is the cause behind all the death and destruction and misery in the world. He's a destroyer. In fact, he's called the destroyer. And Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. And that word destroy in 1 John 3, 8 means this, to loose, to unbind. To loose, to unbind. Now I want you to think about something. In Luke 13, verse 11, it says there was a woman which had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bowed together and could no wise lift up herself. Jesus heals her on the Sabbath day. And then he says this to the Pharisees who were very angry. In verse 16, Luke 13, 16, And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed, and that's our word right there, destroy, loosed, unbound, from this bond on the Sabbath day. Revelation 5.2, again, it says, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose, to unbind the seals thereof? You see, Jesus came to unloose us, to unbind us from the bondage of sin. Look at Hebrews. Go to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2, verse 14. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself, speaking about Christ there, he himself, likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him, there's our word, that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Peter spoke of this on the day of Pentecost when he preached to the children of Israel in Acts 2.24. Acts 2.24, he said this, Whom God hath raised up, having loosed, there's our word, loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he it should be he should be holden of it. See, only by dying and resurrecting could he destroy or loose us from death. And the virgin birth and the resurrection demonstrate to us that he has power over life and power over death. That's why Paul could say to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is law. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abiding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, he came to destroy the works of the devil, to loose us from that bondage, that bondage that we were under. So not only to, his purpose was not only to destroy the works of the devil, but it was also to redeem us from our sin. In, in Luke chapter 2, verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. A Savior. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, it says this, that he will save his people from their sins. So God, through the sacrifice of his Son, has provided the opportunity for every human being who ever lived to be saved. The word saved means to be delivered. Saved from the bondage of their sin. We've already seen that there's there's bondage in sin. Sin brings bondage. You know, we're we are still, even if you're saved this morning, we're still under some of that bondage. You know, we if you're saved this morning, you don't face eternal death or separation from God, but we still live in a body that's decayed. And that's part of the bondage of sin. It's getting old. Sometimes it hurts in the morning. Sometimes it hurts in the afternoon. Sometimes it hurts in the evening. But he came. His purpose is to redeem us or to save us. Three three areas of salvation here. Number one, from the penalty of our sin. He saves us from the penalty of our sin, which is eternal separation from God in, in hell. Uh, Hebrews 2.15, again, Hebrews 2.15 uh, says, you know, to deliver them who were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Uh, Ephesians 2, go to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you hath he quickened who were dead... And again, remember, death means separation. In other words, you were separated from God, dead in trespasses and sins because of your sins against God. Uh, and then verse 12 says, that at that, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. That's a good description of those who are lost. They have no hope. They are separated from God and have no hope of ever seeing God unless they repent. But he goes on and says there, but now in Christ Jesus you who were sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You see, he saved us.
from the penalty of our sin. When we, when we repent of our sin and put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, his, his sacrifice, his payment is put to our account. So we're saved from the penalty. We are also saved from the power of sin. Go to Romans chapter 6. He, he died, or his purpose was to, to save us from the power of sin. This is, this is practical sanctification, we call it. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism in the death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath, notice, no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not on the law, but under grace. What then shall we sin because we are not on the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin and death or of obedience unto righteousness? But God be thanked, that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which has delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, for as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness." What fruit had you then in those things whereof you now are shamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. The wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You notice there's how many times it talks about sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. You know, we don't have to serve sin. We don't have to be enslaved by it. We can overcome it through our Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of our God. In Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, our memory presses, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free, or loosed me from, the law of sin and death. What the law could not do and is weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And then in verse 11, 
But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies. That's this old body that you have. He'll quicken it. He'll give it life. He'll give it overcoming life or power over itself. By his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live out the flesh. For if you live out of the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. You see, we, can, we don't have to be in bondage or controlled by our, the passions of our bodies. We can overcome it. By the power of God that lives in us if we know Christ as our Lord and Savior, from sin. And so, we've been saved from the power of sin. We don't have to serve sin. But thirdly, He saves us, or will save us, from the presence of sin. You know, one of these days, turn over First First Peter, Chapter three, chapter one, First Peter one, verse three. You know, one of these days, he's going to deliver us or save us, and this is future, from the very presence of sin. First Peter chapter one. Blessed, verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, we have an inheritance that's incorruptible. Now, some of you young people may think your body's incorruptible at this point. I ceased to think that quite a long time ago. My hair is no longer red. You know, and I have aches and pains where I didn't have aches and pains before. And there are some things that I don't attempt anymore. Like boxing with Nathan. Or wrestling with the boys. The young man, I should say. Anyway, no, I, but we have an inheritance that's incorruptible, that's undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved. It's future. It's kept, and we're kept. What would it like, be like to live in a place where nothing corrupts? Or what would it be like to live in a world where there are no corrupting influences? That's hard for us to imagine, isn't it? I mean, you can't even go to town. There's corrupting influences everywhere. Revelation twenty one twenty seven. There shall be an, 
There shall be so in no wise enter into it. Talking about the heavenly city here. Enter into it anything that defileth, neither ever, neither whatsoever worketh an abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. You know, I can't even go and I don't know about you, but I can't even go in visitation without getting lied to. People lie to me all the time. And they lie to you all the time. And you know it when they're doing it. Many times. But you could, can you imagine being in a place where there will never be a lie? And nothing that defiles. See, one of these days, our Lord is going to save us from the very presence of of sin. Won't it be wonderful then? You see, Christ Jesus came into the world. His purpose was to destroy the works of the devil and to redeem us from the bondage of our sin. Notice I said, our sin. Because it is our sin. Oh yeah, it started with Adam and Eve. But we've carried on the, the tradition. <laughs> we've carried on the tradition. We're all sinners by nature and we're all sinners by choice. And we are to proclaim this good tidings. Of great joy. I don't know what it did for you when you received the good tidings, but it was a relief and a joy to my soul to know that my sins are forgiven, that I've got inheritance reserved in heaven that fades not away. May we be found faithful proclaiming those good tidings of great joy which shall be or are to be to all people do you know him as your Lord and Savior have you been delivered from the penalty of sin